following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at Minute 95 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you this fine evening? Well, Brad, I gotta tell you, even though I might get stabbed in the back and die afterwards, it would all be worth it if I could just pick up Aura's cape for her. Yeah, you know, I... Uh, yeah. Also, somebody really should have searched her better. Uh, you figure guys would just be lining up to be the ones to search Aura. But, uh, no, no. They really did, forgot to take those bladed objects away from her. But, uh, you know, somebody that we don't need to search because we know he's a good guy. Uh, who was who our guest for this uh, last episode of the week? Well, hopefully after spending the last two days with us, he has not slipped uh, some unseen sharp objects into our studios here on his third day. He is the editor and publisher of FilmBuffOnline.com and the co-host of the Big Picture podcast, Rich Trees, completing his week. Wow, and what a great week this has been. It's flown by. <laughs> I'm just like, really? We're already on the third day? Darn it. This has been a lot of fun, guys. It's, it's a lot of fun. These are great minutes. Uh, and Rich, it's been amazing having you with us. Well, th- well thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm ending my run on, on a minute that contains... My favorite line in the whole movie, and also ends right before my least favorite bit of dialogue in the movie. <laughs> Ooh, nice teaser for this episode. Mm. All right, I like that. This is a guy he he knows how he he knows how to 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 to, to set up a cliffhanger. Well, let let's <laughs> let's uh, let's get something embarrassing uh, out of the way here, though. Um, uh, we scheduled Rich uh, probably a couple months ago. Um. Uh, as as the guest for this week and then uh i don't know a few weeks after that i was uh interacting with other people on a on a on a facebook page and i don't even remember even which one it is another movie fan facebook page though um was it it, uh gilbert godfrey oh okay amazing podcast listener society that's right right. the 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 fan Mm -hmm. group for gilbert godfrey's podcast and uh something somehow came up about the movie flash gordon and i was like oh well you know hey everyone you know uh, you know, endlessly shilling, Brad. You know, come check out our podcast we have. And a uh, couple of comments were like, "Oh, love that movie." And one of them was uh, a certain man named Rich Drees. And I was like, "Oh, Rich, <laughs> you know, come check us out. You should listen." And the, and he was like, "Um, I'm going to be guesting in a few weeks on your show." <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, oops, that's right." Ah. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna let you slide on that, but if you're <laughs> intent on throwing yourself under a bus, oh, God bless yeah. you. <laughs> we are constantly just ruining ourselves in the eyes of our listeners. <laughs> we have no pride, and we we just don't even know what we're doing. Uh, but we still have a, an amazing minute. Uh, and Rich, before we even dive in, you you've mentioned. The short film you produce, and I, I want to hear a little bit more about this, the title, uh, and if there's a way our listeners can uh, can check it out. Um, okay, well, uh, it's called The Injured Digit. Um, 
It's written and directed by my podcast co-host, Natasha Bogutsky. Uh, literally, we just finished filming it um, 48 hours ago, 49 hours ago, as I'm looking at my clock. and uh, We just finished you know, shooting it two days ago. Um, so it's not quite yet ready for uh, listeners to uh, check out. Um, hopefully, we'll have that actually ready probably late February, early March is, I think, what we're shooting to uh have that finished and premiered and uh start shopping it around the film festival seeing who would like to exhibit it you know who would like to show it at their festival uh it's a drama it's about a woman who had a um a rather um disastrous emotional event happen and it's about her learning to open herself up to a relationship again um, the the event that caused her to kind of shut down is is left kind of gray um, because we just wanted to make it kind of universal. We didn't want to say specifically her husband left her or this happened between her and this other man uh, between her and this man. Um, we just kind of wanted to leave it kind of like open so people could bring their own experiences to that and maybe you know relate to the character in that way. And what was really interesting once Natasha hit upon that uh, that idea was when we were casting the main role. Uh, we met with about four or five actresses from our area, who most of whom you know we knew their work from stage and stuff like that, local local theater, and they had all read the script. And the one question I would always ask was, "What do you think happened to get?" the character to the point she is at the beginning of of the script and every single actress had a different answer for that and that 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 was real that that said to me i think we were kind of on the right track for you know what we were what we were trying to achieve there um and that kind of excited me to always hear their answer too well i always i read it like this or i read it like that and then um actually the actress we went with uh, you know, said, well, I felt this and, um, you know, and she just the way she gave the answer, you know, really kind of like solidified, you know, let you know that you had the right person. She gave she, you know, just in watching our dailies and stuff, she's given a great performance. I'm excited to, you know, start working with our editor to get it all pieced together and uh, and see how the hopefully, you know, all the uh, time and talent that everybody gave to us over uh a couple of weekends in August and September will um, will be able to uh, result in something that everybody will be proud to have been a part of. Uh, very cool. Uh, you know, best of luck, and we want to hear more about it when uh, when the time comes. And uh, you know, I, I look forward to when a year or so from now, somebody starting up Injured Digit Minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a twenty episode podcast. <laughs> but Injured Minute, I think they should be called. I think that works. The injured minute. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Hey, listen, you know, quite frankly, uh, Eric and I have guessed it on crazier uh, minute by minute podcast, right, Eric? You know what I'm uh, talking about. Oh, oh, yeah. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> but we're not naming names because we're on Flash Gordon Minute, and Eric, walk us through minute 95. Well, we pick up the end of Kala's statement from the end of last minute, and it turns out what she's announcing is the execution of Baron and Zarkov. Uh, that's what's going to be shown on all Mingo City channels. So 
nice public execution to get ready for a wedding, a, a beautiful twofer, uh, a twofer Tuesday here in Mingo City. It's going to uh, preempt all those uh, Benson reruns. Yeah, 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 sorry. You will not <laughs> ever learn if Robert Guillaume or that guy who played the wacky governor wins the election because uh, we've got to show you two people getting killed. Sorry. Uh, and now, Brad, uh, yesterday you mentioned uh, the soldiers marching uh, to be the ones to carry out the execution. Uh, and before we discuss the, the, the soldiers, I want to talk about their supervisor. Because there's a guy in blue on the left of the screen here uh, who is giving the Skullface guards their orders to go get ready for the execution. Whatever he's saying is completely unintelligible. And so this guy stands out for two reasons to me. First of all, I can't recall any other dialogue in the movie being unintelligible. Now, I know I said yesterday, like, you know, Bureau seemed to be mumbling something. But I think we sort of writ that off that he was just maybe like just screaming weird noises. This is someone's actually speaking and it's just i i guess a, a mongol language i guess but also i don't recall anyone else wearing that blue outfit in this movie either so this guy just really stood out to me. well there's not a lot of blue in the movie anyway yeah it, it, you're it's right. a really underused color and it's weird to give it to just some guy like, like like if you're going to sort of hold back on a particular you know color in a movie you would figure when you finally somebody finally arrives that has that has it as part of their costume or their uniform, it'd be somebody important. Instead, it just sort of seems to be a marching guy. It, yeah. A yeah. really odd choice. It's almost like they ran out of costumes and they had somebody throw something together last minute with whatever material they had left. Is it just me or does his voice sound like it's electronically filtered and that's how they kind of garbled it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not only is it unintelligible, but it's not, yeah, it's not a, a, a it's not an organic noise. It's a mechanical noise. It's a weird moment for no real reason. It's just sort of there. Uh, uh, and, of course, I was just so thrown off even before I get there. Because I remember, it's been so long since we've seen Zarkov. And perhaps this wouldn't be the case if I had watched this movie. If this go around, I watched the movie like normal. You know, normally you sit down and you watch Flash Gordon. It's 90 minutes later and you're done watching Flash Gordon. But it's because we're doing minute by minute. And I just realized, it's like, we haven't talked about Zarkov in a few weeks. He really has been pulled out of the action of the film, and even the last times that he was, even the last times we did see him, he was sort of just a secondary character. He was a, really a background guy. When I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about him. That, I, I was, it was like, oh, Zarkov. It was like seeing an old friend. <laughs> um, and I have to ask, do you think that Baron and Zarkov were at least slightly insulted that their execution was going to be without? Was pretty much boring and straightforward without all the pomp and circumstance and ceremony that Flash's execution got. Baron's gotta be upset, right? Yeah, he's like, hey, come on. I'm a Prince of Mongo, gosh darn it. You know, let me have the long, slow walk in my black uh, boxer briefs and, uh, <laughs> and and everything else. And, and get an awesome tombstone. Yeah, you're right. Baron should, Baron should really not want to be like sharing the bill with Zarkov. <laughs> it's a pretty ignoble end there. And, and, you know, probably on purpose, where Ming knows how Baron ticks. He, he probably knows it's some sort of like mass or group execution, you know, basically just leading as a lead-up for his wedding. I mean, basically, he's serving the same function as most people have, like a crab dinner at a picnic the day before a wedding. <laughs> but we are getting right to my favorite line here, and it's from Baron, and it's that, Tell me more about this man, Houdini. 
it's a fantastic line. Yeah, great it's line. It's just perfectly set up, you know, just the right cadence for it. It it's it's marvelous. And if I could, I would just watch that scene maybe on a loop. Just from the marching guys to that, back to the marching guys to that. And I could be happy for a little while. <laughs> it, it's it's a great delivery and it also makes sense. These are two guys who've accepted their fate. You know, Baron's not going to beg or plead or anything like that. You, you could sort of see how that line comes from. It's nothing, with a little thought, it's not completely out of left field. You could see these two have been st- stuck there for God knows how long. And Zarkov would just mention, it's like, you know, on Earth, there was a man named Houdini who could escape from anywhere. And as they're getting closer to the, closer to the execution, Baron would want to know more about him, but he, he's not going to, like, in a panic, ask about him. He's just going to be more of a, hey, by the way. And it's a perfect delivery. It, it is a great line. Timothy Dalton, I think we've always shown Mr. Dalton the proper respect, but it's tough because he does not have the flashiest role and he hasn't given the flashiest performance. So he sometimes I think can be forgotten a little bit. I think Sam Jones gives the flashiest performance, Brad. Uh, (laughs) That just happened. Yeah. Timothy Dalton does have more of a Shakespearean training to his background though, doesn't he? Yeah. He's he's a respectable actor who uh you know and him and Max von Sydow, uh and a lot of people here have had great careers, but yeah, Timothy Dalton. Um, yeah, he's he, he he's done some Shakespeare in the park. Yeah, and it, it it's just a very, very it just feels very more like a formal formal performance as opposed to Brian Blessed, who's just you know Brian Blessing himself all over the place. Oh, I'm convinced that half the time Brian Blessed doesn't know the camera's on. <laughs> I, I would I would go at least fifty percent of the time, if not higher. Normally in a movie, those two types of performances should not be working together. For some reason, they do here, and that's that's one of the things that's always amazed me about this movie is you know those two different styles just gelling instead of you know clashing the way they do. Yeah, there's a lot of different performances in here where you have you know Max von Max von Sydow who's this amazing, uh, respected actor. You have a Timothy Dalton, who's this young, uh, you know, young performer who, uh, you know, went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, toured with the National Youth Theater. I pulled up to Wikipedia, but while we were talking, I don't know this off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, Brad, don't come on. Let us let let the listeners think that you you got it all in your head. Oh. my illusions are destroyed. Yeah, I know. That would be awesome. It's like, good lord, Brad. Re- like Timothy Dalton would be, uh, you know, finally restraining order if I knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> Somewhere Timothy Dalton would just be looking. I was like, I think I might be in trouble. Somebody's gonna turn me into a skin suit. <laughs> uh, and then you have, you know, Sam Jones who was, you know, on the dating game. <laughs> yep. You know, all of these shouldn't work. You're right. All these should not work together. Uh, but they do. They really do. And they know how to give everyone a little bit of space and give everyone the scenes where th- those wildly different paths and styles can um you know coexist and uh it, it's an impressive feat we're jumping around here because there's we got to go back at, at some point and talk about stuff that we skipped over but let, let's since we're here now in the cell so we've got the words on the wall long live flash and it's right next to zarkov so clearly he's the one who must have written it and i just want to know how did he write it and with what writing implement did he write it 
<laughs> I uh, I gotta ask, and uh, I've I've called this out before. I am colorblind. What color was it? It's red. Ah, uh, he wrote it in his blood. <laughs> Ooh, he's not bleeding from anywhere. Uh, he he did a Tom Hanks, you know, bloody palm, you know, Wilson thing. Uh, from Castaway. Yeah, it's it's got to be his own blood. While he's got his hands chained up like that and blindfolded? You know, I they, maybe they gave him a little walk around time. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's like uh, what, what, when they're in a, 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 a solitary confinement in prison, you, you get an hour in the yard. So maybe maybe that was his walk around time. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to yeah, long live flash. Does anybody have a marker? No, no marker? I'm going to have to prick my finger. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, long live Flash. Eh, nice little, yeah, nice little detail in the background there. So good call out, good call out. So then let's 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 jump back in the minute. Uh, I want to go back to the soldiers first, the marching soldiers. So, um, they're 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 marching to wherever they're going to do the execution, which I, I I guess is in the cell. There's there's lots of blaster points in the wall between Zarkov and Baron. So I guess they just the plan is to shoot them there. So um, here's the thing. There's two uh prisoners who were going to be killed and there's got to be about certainly more than a dozen maybe almost 20 of these soldiers marching towards the execution you obviously do not need that many soldiers to to execute two people so it it made me think of the blank the, the blank cartridge theory of firing squads which is that sometimes one member of a firing squad gets a blank cartridge or sometimes only one member of a firing squad has live rounds and and the soldiers are not told ahead of time who's got the live ammo who's got the blanks and the the theory behind it is that it reinforces a sense of diffusion of responsibility among the firing squad members it makes the execution process more reliable because the members are more likely to aim to kill if they're not blamed for it or if there's a chance that they're the one that doesn't fire the lethal shot and it allows each person to believe afterwards, well, I didn't personally kill someone because maybe that, you know, I had the blank in my gun. However, the problem with us, with putting that theory, you know, into the situation is that Ming, you would think, and Clytus before he was dead, he would want his soldiers cold-blooded. He'd want the prisoners riddled with holes, probably. There's no way Ming would do that. So I, I, I'm... I'm throwing out an idea of why there would be so many soldiers there, and then I'm throwing out the idea of why it wouldn't make sense why that would be there. Uh, and uh, I just wonder what your guys' thoughts on, on, on this is. Are, are, is the blank cartridge being used here, or is it just they want them, the bodies just completely decimated with laser bolts? Uh, they, he, they want them completely. They want them filled uh, oh, with yeah. holes. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine. And I've heard that before where <clears throat> they have X amount of you know blank cartridges and stuff like that. I I I, I have heard that before. That just does not seem to be. That is just not the way Ming works. Right. He he, he is not a. He's not. It's like oh, I don't want these people to feel bad about themselves afterwards. I think that that's just, that's just not Ming's way of doing things. So yeah, he 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 wants he wants them he wants to leave a really ugly corpse. All right. So then let's oh, go into the elevator we skipped over the elevator scene here which we alluded to back at the beginning of our minute i think first of all uh as, as aura drops her cape um you know no one is watching she's in the elevator alone with this guy but man she drops that cape in such a sensual way without anyone even watching her she's just she's just it's just she's got to be her you know Aura's just got to be aura 
And I, I genuinely feel like at this point in the movie, a viewer would not be faulted for thinking Aura is doing that because she wanted action from the pig guard in this most desperate hour. <laughs> the, the whole thing of her just dropping that is so crazy. Uh, and it could not be any more obvious. And for, first off, and you sort of called out before, we have so many soldiers and stuff there. It's like, you only sent one with Aura? Yeah. <laughs> well, they needed all the other ones at the ex- Yeah, just a second guy. Well, and, how, and, and, and they sent, like, I know, I mean, the pig guards have been established to be incredible. Like, of all the incompetence in this movie, I think the pig guards are the most incompetent. I think Dale showed that in her breakout earlier. But how long does it take this guy to pick up the cape? I, I timed it. From the time he bends down to the time she stabs him, it's five full seconds. And he's still bending down trying to pick up this cape. Yeah, and completely turning his back on her. It, good Lord, good work. It, good help is hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it speaks to how all the people of Mongo are conditioned to react to Ming and by extension, you know, his daughter, the you know, part of the royal family there, where, yes, she is technically a prisoner. She is under arrest. She has been confirmed as a traitor to the crown, if you will. And yet she can still just turn to the guy who's supposed to be taking her off to wherever she's going in terms of like prison, you know, a dungeon, what have you. And even he knows he's supposed to be doing this and she can go, oh, hey, could you pick that up for me? And boom, he automatically goes, OK, sure. You know, it, it kind of speaks to, um, you know, everybody's conditioning on how they have to react and be subservient to Ming and are probably fearful of Ming or his wrath if they don't hop to every one of his slightest whims. How would you think if they had, instead of having one of the pig guards, just having a guy? Would that work better where you have somebody who's not – who would be more susceptible to her charms, where you have this incredibly beautiful woman dropping her – you know, sexily dropping her cape, and, oh, okay, that makes sense. Of course he's going to, you know, lose train of thought, and, you know, you could see him sort of being twitchy or sweaty, like having a sweaty brow because, uh, I, I, well, I'm just going to do what she said. Oh, maybe she likes me. You know, like instead of just having a dumb pig guard, like, oh. You know, oink, oink, I'll grab the, I'll bend over for five seconds. Yeah, actually, that would make the scene work better. You're probably right there. You know, because you're seeing the the guard go, ho, ho. You know, if she, if, if she needs this picked up, maybe she needs somebody to drape it around her shoulders. And if I'm draping my arms around her shoulders, who knows where that could lead? You know, because apparently on Mongo, they're not very good with personal boundaries. Oh, no, no. The, the, <laughs> but, you know, the boundaries have been terrible. Yes. Aura has shown to be so irresistible throughout the entire film, um, and, and knowing how to use her, you know, her wiles to get what she wants, and but uh, you know it, it, that idea sort of loses its power right there. So, eh, it, it, it's still really funny, so you, you can't complain. But I, I just, you know, in the context of the minute by minute, you wonder that. I, I know you guys have said, like, the pig guard screams are kind of goofy, but I just remember them, you know, just as a kid thinking they were kind of creepy. Oh, yeah, there's there's a there's a definite creepiness to it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, listen, a real pig squeal has a creepiness to it, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, you know what? It's an effect that works, and there is something very viscerally, you know, disturbing about that sound. Uh, they're just 
you know, it, the sound effect works. They're just really bad at their job. <laughs> we've uh, hopped over uh, the, the the last few seconds. We've caught up to where we were in the minute before, and Aura has gotten her way into the dungeon, and uh, she's. We see the beginning of her plan to break out Baron and Zarkov, and I I, I I've got to call out. Sort of how like the Return of the Jedi escape plan from Jabba's palace kind of falls apart if you think about it too much. The escape plan here uh, is not entirely sound. First of all, when she walks in, the sequence of events is she shoots the camera, she shoots off the the, the bracelets, and then she puts her hand over his mouth, and, and then she says, you know, camera malfunction or whatever. What she should do is she should shoot the camera, then put the hand over the mouth, then announce the malfunction, and then shoot off the cuffs. Because she's taken too much of a chance of Baron saying something before she announces the malfunction to the camera. But in addition, she has a very distinctive voice. No one else in Mongo sounds like her. That's exactly my note. I was like, no one sounds like Aura. Plus, the camera that she's reporting malfunction is the camera in the dungeon of the two people who were about to be killed. Wow, wouldn't that be some coincidence? There's just there's no way this plan can possibly work. It's not a good plan, and I I just have a feeling that Aura does that actress doesn't have a lot of uh, other accents in her arsenal because uh, she really it'd be great if they just her held it up and maybe you could just ADR someone else is like ah, everything's fine here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I didn't know you could do that, Aura. It's like I have many skills that you weren't aware of. Uh, but yeah, it is ridiculous. It's not making Kala look too bright, and she just sort of stares dumbly. I don't. I see. I think that Kala knows right away it's her. Um, that she's sort of like, I know that voice. She, she's not showing portraying a whole lot one way or the other in that scene. So you're you're right. It, it's something we'll you know that could show up in following minutes or whatever. But in that minute, it, it, they could have shown an arched eyebrow or something, but you know, they're, they're, she's keeping the poker face. She's keeping the <laughs> poker face. And one thing I do like about that scene though, and you know, I don't know how many people actually notice it, but when she is using that laser, it's not just a regular, you know, straight bolt of energy coming out. It has that weird little sine wave to it. Um, it's not a traditional, you know, quote unquote laser that we usually see in a science yeah. fiction movie. Yeah, it co- it's it's got a it's a it's a coil inside like a, a red uh, highlight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we see that like one or two other times of different types of lasers, you know, with a different type of design or look to them. And I appreciate that they go out of their way just to go. Let's make this look a little different than what we'd normally see in a movie. You know, stuff like that. Um, coming up when um, Baron's, you know, in a couple of minutes down where Baron's running around with uh, that Gatling laser, that also has a different look to it, too. Uh, something to watch out for. And I, yeah. I appreciate that they just, you know, did that little attention to detail. Yeah, and especially because, I mean, that laser shot's on screen for maybe a second and a quarter, a second and a half at most. So mm-hmm. it's it's literally a blink and you'll miss it moment, uh, but you know, and this is you know 1980s technology, so it's not like some guy at a computer doing CGI is doing this in five minutes either. It probably took time to do that. Yeah, there was time and research put into this, uh, or somebody just really rushed at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> we can never tell with this movie. And 
uh, you know, they they weren't going, well, somebody will, you know, pause the DVD and, you know, be able to see it either. They didn't have that hope. There are not going to be really freaky geeks in the future analyzing this movie by the second. It's just not going to happen. No, no, certainly not. Not knowing we were all out there and we were all waiting for this moment. It's all come together, folks. We showed them. Uh, well, let's let's finish uh, the Howard Blake uh, music cue number forty conversation from yesterday. Uh, that um, it started late in the minute yesterday. The foreboding strings. Um, interestingly enough, when Aura stabs the pig guard, there's this triumphant flourish, uh, and then the foreboding strings don't come back. Um, and then as they're making their way through the corridor, uh, Rich, you mentioned yesterday how the Queen music melded into the Howard Blake score. And now at the end of this minute, it's melding back into the flash baseline starting to kick in as the minute ends. Yep. They're, they're doing the music cue so good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. The, the fades are perfect. The, the music selection is perfect. And, uh, you know, we, we know... Uh, from our conversation with Mr. Blake, that all this was a disaster behind the scenes, and uh, that they were able to do it so well is uh, really a testament. So, Rich, um, Brad and I are contra- contractually obligated to not discuss it until uh, the next minute, but you mentioned that the next minute, uh, right as this minute ends, there's something that uh, you do not like. So, you, since you this is your last uh, minute here with us, uh, you are allowed <laughs> to discuss it. Um. Just the whole that whole dialogue about oh I've changed you've changed I haven't changed um, just oh oh it just falls on my ear like a ton of bricks it just I it feels like dialogue put in there by the screenwriter as a placeholder for something he feels he's going to write better later but never got back to which <laughs> which we we believe they've done quite a bit in this movie. I think mm-hmm. this might be then, Brad. That's the first lazy script writing item added by a guest instead of you or me. Yeah, and I I, I completely get what you're saying. Eric and I will talk more about it next week. And there's a thousand different ways they could have done that dialogue where it's not very believable. Aura completely, you know, changing her spots, uh, especially after she just sort of seductively dropped her cloak so she could stab a guard in the like in the back with two knives i'm a good guy i can still stab people right yeah (laughs) there's a way they could do it whether she's still not trustworthy she's still sort of shifty but you know she she's she she's now like only 49 percent evil and she's 51 percent good and just (laughs) it's obviously trickier dialogue than i'm making it sound but you know just write something it's like well you know She's still probably going to keep her pleasure moon and get her, you know, alcohol from the pleasure galaxy and <laughs> go to the pleasure if, peninsula. And <laughs> if there had been a sequel, I doubt they would have gone down this path. But it would have been interesting to see if they did try to show her adjusting to, oh, I, I'm I'm married to one of the good guys now. I have to be a good person. And what 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 do you mean? I still can't beat my servants now. What do you, or, you know? There. <laughs> That that transition for her, I think, would be a very interesting story. Not necessarily tonally in line with, you know, this movie, of course, but still would be kind of interesting to see how she squares that circle. That'd be something fun to see. And you know, the mo- next movie comes out, and they have, uh, and they often do this, like the comic book that you know takes place that that shows stuff leading up to the movie or something like that and that'd be fun like you know aura at home 
chatting with the other ladies in the neighborhood, gossiping a little bit, and she just gets tired and sets a bunch of them on fire. <laughs> Real Housewives of Mungo City? Oh, that, oh man. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'd watch that. Uh, Rich, do you got anything else you want to throw in here in your last minutes on the show? Oh, boy. Um, nothing in particular about this minute uh, outside of the fact that those gold skeletal guard masks about 10 years ago somebody on ebay was selling replicas of those allegedly pressed from the same molds as was used for the actual costuming and i did buy one of them oh wow yeah it was spray painted gold not the gold plate that you see in the movie Mm -hmm. so it kind of looks a little off but it is it is sitting up on uh one of my uh movie shelves uh, in a place of honor have you ever put it on um, no, because it, uh, because, and you can't really see it in the movie, but it, there's like little holes drilled on each side and the top for, I guess, you know, like a string to go around back and over the top to keep it in position. And I've never actually put it on, but now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is casual Friday tomorrow at works. So. There you go. Eric, we've had some, um. Uh, some guests, uh, obviously, we, our guests, um, m- most of them have a lot of love and fandom for Flash Gordon. I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I have a thought of something probably comparable in a fandom done as a purchase. Uh, what do you What do you remember? Do, do you have anything pop into your mind as somebody who like talking about their love for Flash and how they displayed it? Um. Well, uh, uh, one of our guests had the had a bunch of tattoos. He told us. Yes, he had a sleeve tattoo. That was what I was thinking of. It's just a sleeve of uh, one arm. Just was a sleeve of Flash Gordon stuff. Yeah. Damn. That is. Uh, I got uh, two small tattoos for my kids. That just seemed like something that I was pretty sure I was gonna like for a long time. <laughs> but a sleeve of Flash Gordon. That is commitment to a movie. Oh yeah. But uh, but I tell you what, Rich. That's pretty impressive too. You getting the mask from the same press—that is pretty damn cool. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's Casual Friday tomorrow. You should. Uh, it'll be a conversation starter. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't think my coworkers would blink twice if I did. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know I'm. They know I'm a weird movie guy now. So after two years, they're just used to whatever. <laughs> it's gonna be that thing where you show up in the mask, and they're be—they're not gonna be surprised because you're wearing the mask. They're gonna be surprised that you haven't been wearing it all this time before. <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember I worked with a guy who was sort of a kooky guy, and one day I'm sitting at my desk, and he just flew by my desk on a unicycle. I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, of course he's wearing a unicycle. Where the fuck, where the heck has the unicycle been all this time?" That seems absolutely correct. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Rich, this has been an amazing week. We've had a lot of fun. Um, please, one last time, uh, let people know where they can, uh, get more of you in their lives. Wow. Um, I'm not sure I'd totally recommend that, but, um, filmbuffonline.com is, uh, my, uh, my news, uh, organization, as much as we can use the word organization with, uh, the folks who, uh, contribute and myself, um, where we talk about the latest uh, film news, uh, review film, uh, feature articles. It's not just myself. Uh, my good friend uh, Bill Gatavakis writes a lot about uh, writes a lot of our comic book film news uh, material, and um, 
Natasha Bogutsky is a uh, feature writer, contributing editor for us. She is also my co-host on the Big Picture Podcast, um, which can be found at bigpicturepod.com. Uh, we're just coming back off of our hiatus and uh, this coming week and well in two weeks or actually yeah this weekend and then next weekend we'll uh be at new york comic-con so day or two after that we'll have our uh, our wrap-up show on that and then we're going to get into the uh fall movie season and Os the oscar race which we're very excited about as well we like to cover everything you know whether it's a great cult classic like flash gordon a silent film something you know big like the avengers or um you know, something, you know, a smaller independent film that's, you know, up for some Oscars. So no matter what your movie taste is, hopefully uh, we've got something for you at both Film Buff Online and the Big Picture Podcast. Oh, very cool. Recommend everyone check it out. Uh, Eric, it's it's uh, it's our last uh, episode of the week. Uh, one more time, let people know where they can find out more about Flash Gordon Minute. Find out more about us on Facebook. We love to talk to you in the Flash Gordon Minute listeners vortex. Uh, join us on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and send us an email, flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Now, Eric, this is usually the point of the show where I complain about the things that are causing me great concerns or great worries. But I'll be honest, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, how about you? I, 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 I could be walking on air right now. But someone who does have a worry is one of our favorite listeners, somebody who's really active uh, with the, the Flash Gordon Minute social media our excellent listener, Brian Campus. Oh, Brian, no. And, uh, yeah, another big Facebook uh, contributor. Come on. I'm actually just going to read what, he, uh, what Brian said his concern is. He says, and I quote, I'm worried that I'm going to have to join some sort of support group when this show ends. Well, Brian, you know what? I, 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 I feel your pain. And I wouldn't worry too much because if you're if you do end up joining that group, I can pretty much guarantee when you enter the room, Brad and I will both already be in there with our, our arms around each other sobbing. And so you'll have us sitting next to you talking about Flash Gordon Minute and how much we miss it. And maybe we'll, you know, just start doing the show for Minute Zero for all for your benefit right there in the room. Uh, if that happens, then Brad and I might go insane, and we might bring you with us. So if you're concerned about going insane in the Flash Gordon Minute recovery room, don't worry, because Flash will save every one of us. Next week, our heroes hurdle towards destiny, and your hosts share the booth with veteran Disney animator Rob Pratt. Incredible adventures await you here on Flash Gordon Minute.